Back in the year 2001, um, there were two events that uh, absolutely shocked the world, and and personally, they 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 shocked me and and my family to to some degree. The one you immediately remember all about, and that was the uh, the uh, the bombing in uh, New York City on 9/11. But earlier in the year 2001, um, there was something happened where I was that uh, has sort of loomed large in my mind as I think back over my life and think about the uh, the big events um, in the negative kind of, of spin of things. So in 2001, in um, the early part of the year, in January, I was in India. I was in Bangalore, which was in South India, and I was speaking at a conference there, and I was staying at a, a lovely college called Union Theological College in the city of Bangalore. Um, and one of the things that was provided while I was staying there was that they had a, a lovely hot breakfast um, that I could to go to the dining room for uh, each morning. And then after that, I went to the, the activities of the day where I was involved with lots and lots of people. But... Um, on one of the the first mornings that I was there, I went for breakfast down the hallway from my room, and uh, was enjoying again a lovely hot breakfast. And the strangest thing started to happen. I, I began to have just a queasy feeling in my stomach, and I, I, I thought I was getting a headache, like there, there was something coming over my head. And at the same time, my my tray where where my food was began to shake and i i pulled my hands back to make sure it wasn't me that was shaking and shaking the tray and the tray kept on shaking all by itself um and then the tray literally shook off the table and fell onto the floor and i i had no idea what was happening uh fortunately i had another um diner in the room with me and he noticed my distress, and he was holding on to his tray so that it didn't fall off the table for him. But he looked over at me, he said, it's okay. And I looked back at him, and I, I think I said something like, "How? what's okay, what is happening? And he said, well, it's an earthquake. And he said, we get those quite often. And I thought, oh, Wow, is that what this is? And within a, a minute, less than a minute, seemed like an eternity. Everything had calmed right down. Everything had settled down. I wasn't feeling that that sort of sense of disorientation or strangeness in in my stomach. Um, but things stopped. And as it turned out, at that very time, there was a, a large earthquake in Gujarat, which is quite a ways away from where I was in Bangalore. Uh, that did a, a, an enormous amount of damage. And so the slide actually that you see is a, a memorial to that earthquake. Um, as these many years later, they remember many who died in the uh, Gujarat earthquake on January the 26th of 2001. Um, a little irony in all of this is that my family knew that I was in India somewhere. They just didn't know where. And sometimes you wonder if your kids care about where you are and what you're doing. Well, all of a sudden, um, I began to get uh, phone calls and so on, and it was from 
the the children saying, where are you? Are you okay? Well, I was a long way away from um, the the earthquake in Gujarat, but it was kind of nice to know that they were worried about me a little bit. Later that year, there was the the attack on the, the Twin Towers and the awful events of 9-11. And uh, on that morning, uh, I had just begun a new job in in Brampton and Annabeth was still working downtown Toronto and when the news was breaking about the things that were happening in New York City um, everybody began to panic we we all began to panic and news was coming from all over the place and fear was growing um, at, at a great pace and they were talking about closing down um, transport and you know I, I found myself for the first time maybe being really really scared about where Annabeth was and would she be safe would she be okay and there aren't too many times in our lives when we are so unsettled as as I was in those two kinds of situations but in, in the matter of the earthquake my friend who was uh, having his breakfast across the room for whom this was sort of an ordinary day, um, he said, you should be prepared for when earthquakes come along. And um, he, he gave me some ideas, you know, because I said I had this weird thing, you know, I was feeling kind of weird and talked about my breakfast falling on the floor and all that sort of thing. And as, as I thought about what he told me, good counsel, I've, I've come back this week in the middle of a time when it's it's unlike any other time that we've any of us has faced um it it's a, it's another um big kairos kind of event or or season in which we're living and um we're all filled with some kind of mixture of feelings um Many people are talking about having ups and downs. Um, some people that are, you know, are, are more prone to depressive seasons are, are finding that, that those are, are storming in upon them. Um, even people who might be kind of happy-go-lucky and the kind that say everything will be fine, they're all sort of pausing and saying, hmm, I wonder will things really be fine and and we're all in this you know sort of mix of emotions and here it is Easter Sunday and we're not really sure what uh, will come after this um, and so I, I've come back to the the Gujarat earthquake and more particularly my experience in Bangalore and there are just some things that I would like to remind you about that should be helpful to us as we deal with uh, the day in which we're living. So in the situation in um, an earthquake or a great seismic upset or a pandemic, um, here are the things that I think we would be advised to do. Uh, they will be kind of simple on the face of them, but I hope to moor them in, in some uh, healthy scripture that will be of good counsel for us and, and good direction in the days that are ahead of us. The first thing is to take your bearings. I'm going to expand on these in, in just a moment. But um, I lost my bearings in the, in the dining room 
at UTC. I, I kind of couldn't figure out where I was or what was going on. And so it was very important to get my bearings. And, and my, my friend said something like that to me. He's, you know, he sort of said, just kind of steady on and, you know, look around and see where you are, see what's changing about your, your context and, and so on. The second thing is, and this is very, very good advice in an earthquake, um, hold on to fixed things. It's, it's also good advice in lots of life situations. You know, if, if you're teaching your child to drive, um, hold on to fixed things, right? So you don't get thrown around the, the vehicle and so on. I'm sorry, that's being a little trite and in this kind of matter. The third thing is wait through the quake. So, you know, my friend there in uh, Bangalore, um, he, he could see what was happening to me, but, but he just kind of, he sat there and waited until the the rumblings had come and gone and then we were able to talk and and carry on and then the third the fourth thing is to take your new bearings things change um the ground may have changed literally around you and so it would be important in passing through a quake in our lives that we take our new bearings and see where we go from here on. So let me bring you back to um, probably a very typical passage of scripture for a Sunday like Easter Sunday. But I want to bring those four suggestions home uh, to belong in 1 Corinthians 15. So let me read it for you, and then I'm going to talk about each of those ways that we manage through um, those big deals of our lives uh, like the one we're involved in now. The Apostle Paul says this, Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believed something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important, and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter, and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James, and later by all the apostles, Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him, for I am the least of the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. I'm going to look at um, that passage kind of piece by piece. First thing I wanted to suggest to you was that in the middle of a crisis, in the middle of hard times, in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of an earthquake, in the middle of a tornado, in the middle of a tragedy, whatever it is, we, we, we need to take our bearings. A few years ago, um, our grandchildren, Michaela and Liam, were riding with us to church in Milton. And I, I kind of enjoy the, the back roads um, rather than the 401. 
you can always count on the back roads. They take the same length of time every time. 401 can be fast or can be very slow. So I always avoid 401 and I take the back roads. And just for fun, I try to take different routes because you can kind of just, you know, mark out the squares, make sure you're making right angle turns and aim in the right direction. And so we hadn't been here, I think, all of that long. And I, I didn't know all of the roads as well as maybe I do now. But we were making our way from Milton or from Guelph to Milton, and Michaela and Liam were in the back seat. And I was taking one of these circuitous routes, and Michaela was paying attention to my driving. She had already made some comments about her daddy being a better driver and all that kind of nonsense. But she she finally piped up and she said, Um, Gramps, we're lost right now, aren't we? And I looked in the rearview mirror, and I said, we're not lost right now. And she says, yeah, we're lost. Well, I convinced her that we weren't lost and that I did know where we were going and how to get there. But but the question of bearings was on her mind. Like, where are we? Does this guy know where we are? And how do we get where we want to go after that? So we should take our bearings. This is a really good time to take your bearings when it comes to navigating these times. It, it comes just by simply asking a question, how are you, really? And Mike um, picked on you know, me or um, you know, came back to me with what I often say is, ask people how are you and then put really so he asked me how I was and then said really so I, w I need to ask you all this morning how are you really and more than that I, I, I think you need to ask one another how are you really and um, may maybe you need to just say um, how are you today because this is an up and down time this is a tumultuous time and so just for ourselves to check in and say, what are my bearings right now? How, how am I? How am I really? And how am I today? And then whoever is near you, if you're self-isolating with uh, your spouse or your family, just make sure that you, you take your bearings. Just ask yourself how you are and ask everybody else how they are. And give everyone the room to say just what they are feeling, but uh, very important to just take your bearings and see how you're doing. In, in the passage before us, um, our bearings are, are sort of laid out for us really clearly. Um, the Apostle Paul, when, when he's, um, excuse me here while I, find my way back to where I was. He said, let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, and, and goes, goes on from there. The remind you is, is, is just that first step. It is taking your bearings. He's, he's saying, I, I want you to just sort of check yourself out um, and check yourself out in terms of your faith. I've been discovering that there are verses and passages and ideas that 
that come to me differently in the middle of this pandemic than they would in in normal times, whatever they were and will be. And and so finding my bearings for me right now is coming to scripture and noticing that there are certain ideas in scripture that I, I probably knew about in some way, but now they mean something much more profound because of the, the things that are going on. So Paul says, I, I think it's important for you to be reminded, take your bearings um, about your faith. And he, he says, it, uh, what I'm going to remind you about is what he calls the good news. And that's a lovely thing for us to hear today. Um, it, it The good news... Uh, just exactly means that it, it means a happy announcement or the good announcement and he he doubles up the language when he says um I, I want you to be reminded of the good news i good news to you he uses a noun and then turns it into a verb and he says for us to get our bearings we need to get our bearings with reference to the good news the 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 great news that I announced to you. And then he goes on and he helps them to understand that the second thing is that once they started to try to get their bearings, they need to hold on to the the things around them that are fixed. When things are shaking, best thing is to find something that's not shaking. When things are moving, best thing is to find something that isn't moving and hold on for dear life. And I think that what Paul is encouraging us about um, is exactly that, that um, there are some things related to the good news that he is good news to us that um, we should be absolutely sure um, to hold on to. So he, he says, I, I want you to hold on and the way that he refers to this um, is he, he, he says, you welcomed this great news, that I great news to you. Uh, you. You welcomed it one time, but he said, now you still stand firm in it. And, and the language there, still stand firm, um, is exactly what we're talking about. Is that in the, in the middle of everything changing around us and shaking around us, there are things that are fixed and we've made a decision in the past to hold on to those things. When things were different than they are now, when things were clearer maybe than they are now, maybe when they were worse or better than they are now, but nonetheless, Paul says, you heard the message that I told you and and you, you, you stood firm in it. So he says, I, I want to encourage you to still stand for a minute. Um, the New Living Version, which I'm using here, uh, says you still stand firm. Um, the message talks about it and says it's the message on which you took your stand. And that's, that's you know a little bit more sort of Americanish, right, where it's saying um, it's not only something that, that you held on to, but you stood on something. You, you said, yeah, that's worth standing up for. That's worth standing for. 
And it's the good news that Paul said he communicated to the Corinthians. Um, the, the NIV says you hold firmly to these things. And one Greek translation over into English says you hold fast. You hold fast to this. So it's all exactly the same idea. And it's completely to do with this notion um, of of getting hold of something fixed, something solid, something dependable, and in the middle of shaking times, in the middle of everything else, maybe feeling as though it's moving. There are things that don't move. And the Apostle Paul is saying, I'd like you to get your bearings related to those things that don't move. Make sure you hold on tight. So as we think about holding on tight, what do we do then in in the holding on tight? Well, this isn't terribly profound, but the third thing is that we just wait, right? And I'm not a very patient person. Um, I want things done. I want them done now. Um, there aren't too many situations in life where somebody else is absolutely in control or something else is absolutely in control and there's nothing you can do but this is one of those situations when for all of us there's nothing we can do um but we have to wait so the way paul words this when he talks about the waiting is that he says that he wants us to continue to believe the message right so we welcomed it and we stood firm on it And then he says, it's this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. That's kind of a a tongue-in-cheek comment that he's making um, where, where Paul is saying, while you're waiting, let's just do a little check about the thing that you are holding on to. So he says, um, Get your bearings, get your bearings around your faith. Um, as, as you get your bearings and see what's happening around you, then hold on to what doesn't move. And let's say you need to hold on to the thing that you stand firm in because you have taken a stand, you have committed yourself to it. And then you can now continue to believe this message. You can wait through believing this message as long as what you believed in was a true message in the first place. And it is altogether proper to wonder about our faith and just say, okay, here's a good opportunity to ask, what difference does it make about whether or not this is a true thing that the Bible tells us or claims, or that this Easter weekend celebrates. Um, You know, Paul says, kind of take a bit of a visit back and make sure that you believed something that was actually true in the first place. And I want to talk about that a little bit more, in a little bit more length as as we go on with this. Um, but, But get your bearings, Hold on, something's not going to move. And and as you do, settle in for the wait. 
Good things can happen while we wait. I think some good things are happening. If we're able to allow the Spirit to bring calm and rest, which I think can happen by what we're talking about here today, which is to say, well, wow, where does my faith come in all of this? And am I still thoroughly committed to what I have believed? And if I say, yes, I am, I've actually gone back and checked it out to make sure I still am. And yes, I am. So then I'm going to wait. Um, I'm going to wait because I have to because something else is in control of things, not me. But I'm going to wait because also in the waiting, there are some good things that will happen. Uh, some good things will happen if we're able to be attentive and we'll be able to be more attentive if we can find ourselves in a place of trust and rest um, that comes from com- finding this solid ground, this fixed thing to, to hold on to. I, I think good things can happen as we sort how we use our time. I think great things are going to have happened through families who will, will have rediscovered playing games together, eating meals together. Um, Many of us will have to sort through finances and at the end of it all, maybe we'll be able to to have a a better fix on our stewardship and our our management of our resources. Um, Lots of things, and not the least of them, is the, the interest in God to step in and say, if if you're interested, there's a God who's able to speak into the middle of difficult circumstances and so on. After we've thought about the uh, um, bearings getting kind of part of this, getting fixed on the stuff we're committed to and we know we need to wait, um, Paul would say just just so you are able to know that there's something firm to hold on to, I, I, I will just remind you of what it is that we're declaring together is the gospel. So here's what he says is what we are committing ourselves to. And it's, it's a familiar sort of litany, but it, it's delightful to come back to it time and time again. Um, Paul says, here's here's what you believed, you still believe, you believe in the Gospels that are made up of this. Christ died for our sins. Simple, simple statement of the whole message of the Bible. There's a problem, it's called sin. There's something broken in our world, it's called sin. Christ died for for our brokenness and for the results of our brokenness. And that Christ died for our sins is, is the, the very center, the very crux of the Christian faith. And Paul says it was just as the scriptures said. Very interesting point. And he says, he was buried and was raised from the dead on the third day. Again, just as the scriptures said. Then he was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at the same time. Most of them are still alive, although some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all of the apostles. And last of all, he was seen by me. 
What is the point of this list? Well, let me sort of line them up and say why I think they are lined up this way. Scriptures are cited twice as being something that um, are, are referred to as um, a validation of what happened, that it's be- because Scripture said that we are noticing these things and recording them or, or you know, writing them down. So scriptures, um, I would I would invite you to to go to scriptures and think about. It's a kind of a clumsy word, but the word cohesion, the cohesion of the scriptures, um, becomes for me one of the solid evidences of the Christian faith. The way that the Bible fits together with itself is beyond human contrivance you, you, you couldn't get you know maybe four people because those four people could be convinced to agree on something or you couldn't get a thousand people because you needed that many to agree you, it would be impossible for the scriptures to be pieced together with the kind of cohesion that we find Old Testament and New Testament so much so that for thousands and thousands of years, we are um, engrossed with the scriptures to understand what they mean. And, and we find ourselves letting them loose and letting them find their ways into the, the nooks and crannies of thought and philosophy and life so that at the end of one of these kind of study and fascination sessions, you kind of sit back and go, wow, the scriptures are, are some kind of literature. So Paul begins with this and, and says, you know, just you know, for the record, it's according to the scriptures that these things happen. And then he goes on and he says that um, he was seen by, and he's given He's giving a whole lot of witnesses. Um, I've enjoyed a book lately called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. And it is a book that argues that in the early centuries, in the early decades even of the Christian era, the most trustworthy witness was always given by eyewitnesses. Today, um, you, you might find that that's not so much the case because maybe somebody will say, um, I think that's a biased person or, you know, that person brings something to this out of his or her own experience and so on. But in the early years of this era, um, if a person could claim to have actually seen or heard something the judge would pay particular note and say there that's a certain kind of witness that is superior to any other kind of witness to any other circumstantial or um you know thought thought through argument kind of witness the, the, the judge could say did you see it did you hear it and this book is saying that that is absolutely the, the most credible witness. So Paul is, is playing to that, and he's saying, look, there are people who saw him. And some of, of, of 
critics down through the years have said, well, they were disciples. They were already, you know, committed to him. So how can you believe that? Well, which came first? They were committed to him because they believed him, because they had seen him. They saw it. They heard it. So they converted, and and then they are eyewitnesses. They, they witnessed to it. So the Gospels... Um, Scriptures themselves argue for the truthfulness of the doctrines that are emerging from its pages. The eyewitnesses are speaking and saying, we saw a person who was crucified alive again. And then Paul goes on and says, here they are, by the way, you've seen by Peter, and then by the 12, and then more than 500. And he takes the risk in saying, um, most of them are still here. So if eyewitness testimony is credible, they are here. You can go and ask them, did they see? What did they see? Did they hear? Uh, what did they hear? And and then he he has a couple of kind of rogue witnesses. He has James. And you begin to think back and say, well, wh- who was James and when did James see him? James was the half-brother of Jesus. And according to early records and even the early testimony of the Gospels, Jesus' family didn't believe him. His brothers didn't believe him. Um, And James seems to have been kind of on on the outskirts of the life of Jesus. Um, How was he related? Was he the half-brother? What? There are lots of ideas about that. James, though, became probably the second most important leader of the early church after Paul. So James and Paul are are probably the two most significant church leaders. James became a follower of Jesus after having been one of his um, non-subscribing family members who from time to time tried to to get Jesus out of the crowd and, you know, stop this nonsense kind of thing. Like, can you come outside and talk? Your mother and brothers are wanting to talk to you. Who are my mother and brothers? No, I'm not going to talk to them. And they're going, oh, thank you. What is he doing in there? Well, James, um, Paul says, was one of the early eyewitnesses. So somebody that was kind of a late convert becomes... Uh, one more way to to kind of affirm the things that were fixed on, the things that we're holding onto. We know people who are like that. We knew we know we know people who, early on in in life, were followers of Christ as they were at their mother's knee praying, leading, learning prayers, and learning Bible stories, and so on. There are those kinds of people, and there are people who later on in life did not think they would be converts to Christianity were resistant to Christianity and yet like James they find themselves committing themselves to the faith and it it does as well to read those people C.S. Lewis of course is is a a great example of that where he says he was kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God and everything he thought it would be like it wasn't like that Um, but he became convinced and converted 
And that adds to the strength of our own um, sticking with the, the faith to which we have committed ourselves. Then Paul says, the last person I, I call as a witness is, is me, myself. And he says, I shouldn't be a witness at all. If anything, I was kind of born late. Um, and, and I'm a Johnny-come-lately. I'm a, I'm a newcomer and latecomer. But I met him myself. And you think, well, wh- when did you meet him? And the way he met him was a different way than the others. He doesn't claim to have met him physically but he claims to have had a vision of him as has been spoken to him from the heavens. And again, today in, in very interesting times, we're finding more and more people who will say, well, that's not surprising to me. That's how I came to know Jesus. He appeared to me in a dream. He appeared to me in, in a vision. And so the Bible, cohesive in its very many facets, um, the people who saw a risen person who they saw or knew had died and saw and knew that he was living, um, people who were laid on the scene, people who were really laid on the scene, and, and then just a, a little kind of a, a, a little notion at the end where Paul says, I shouldn't even be called an apostle after the way I persecuted the church. Somehow, um, what what Paul came to commit himself to, he finally was able to look at himself and say, what was I doing? I, I was persecuting the church of God. And Jesus actually said that to him when he, when he appeared to him. And Paul came to an understanding that what these people were believing, what these people were teaching was the truth. Um, and and he, he didn't say, well, okay, Jesus, I can follow you in some way. Um, he, he knew that that also meant the church, the movement of Jesus, that Paul could, could now come along and say, I, I'm one of you. They, they didn't necessarily like the idea. In fact, they said, we don't trust you. And it took a Barnabas to sort of be a, a go-between and say, it's okay, he really is a convert. He really has uh, come to follow Christ. So there, there's the sort of panoply of witnesses all lined up. And all of it so that we can, um, with Paul, in a situation like this, take our bearings and say, okay, things are moving. What's not moving Hold on to the things that are fixed. Wait. Patiently wait through and allow God to do the things that he is doing to sort them through. And then finally, we will need to take our new bearings. What is important for us to state this morning is that the fixed things still will not change. And that is great to know that that. This is historic truth to which we have made practical lifetime life commitments um, to follow Jesus. And whatever else happens all around us, that's fixed and will not change. And so we will wait until the dust settles, so to speak, and then we will ask, what's the new normal? what will the new normal be? And we will be able to accommodate the new normal to the extent 
um, to which we have established ourselves holding on to the things that won't change so that as things that will change and should change or could change do, we'll say, that's okay. We'll be good with that. And years from now, we will look back and say, during that time, here's my story. Here's what was going on, as I can do now. I can say what happened. There were aftershocks from the Gujarat earthquake. Now I know that. I can describe what happened. Later on, we'll be able to look back to this and say, now we have learned, medically we've learned this, we've learned this in various other ways. And what happened in the midst of all of that is that we held on to what wouldn't change. We held on to what was fixed and we're, we're, we're doing well. I wondered about putting another one on there, which is to get ready for the next earthquake. But I think that may be premature. All right, God bless you.